Well, hello there, and welcome to the podcast where our goal is to remind you that amidst the chaos and craziness of the world today, there are still plenty of good things that are worth shouting about. In each episode of this podcast, we're going to be joined by nonprofit professionals, leaders, experts, and advocates to hear their stories, facilitate conversation and connection within the nonprofit sector, and hopefully put a smile on your face. We like that. I'm Matt Barnes. This is Nonprofit Connect. Let's share some good. Well, hello there, and welcome back to another episode of Nonprofit Connect with Matt Barnes. That's me. So excited to be doing this again today. We've got a great guest for you. Very excited. Ryan Sautel from White Heart Foundation is here. I'll tell you more about him in just a second. A couple things that I wanted to share. You know, I've been trying to share a little bit more about myself so that we can connect, you and I. And you can send me stuff like about yourself so that I can feel connected to you as well because you don't have a microphone and I do. But one of the things I realized you may not know is that I am a helicopter pilot. It started out as a hobby, but now, and for the last seven years, I've had a company, Rogue Aviation, which is a helicopter flight school and tour company. And we operate out of John Wayne Airport in Orange County. And we just opened a second location at Long Beach Airport. Why am I telling you this? Because we also offer tours out of both of those locations. You can get pretty much anything in Orange County or go up and see LA, or go Hollywood and the beaches and all that stuff. It's really, really fun. And I wanted to make sure that if you're ever in town or if you live here and you want to go for a helicopter tour, which you should because it's really amazing, you should get a discount on that for having to put up with me. So if you go to flyrogue.com and you book a helicopter tour and use the code NPConnect, Nonprofit Connect, that's the name of this podcast, just in case you forgot, NPConnect is a code, get 10% off your tour. And you should definitely do that because it's amazing. If you haven't been in a helicopter before, check it out. It is not the kind of scary that some people think of like for heights and stuff. It's really, it's like floating in a bubble and getting to see things from a really cool perspective. So flyrogue.com, NP Connect is the code for 10% off if you want to go on a tour. I probably won't fly the tour. I don't fly tours very often. Every once in a while I jump in on one, but pretty much my kids take up all my free time. So I don't have a lot of time for tours on the weekends or at nights or whatever, but we've got great pilots and they will take great care of you. The other thing I wanted to tell you is if you didn't know, Rogue Creative's my company produces this podcast, but we do it in partnership with a podcast production company called Fame. And Ella Lamprell has been one of the producers from the very beginning since we first came up with the idea of this that I've been working with. And she is truly amazing. She's been working at Fame for a while and has done an incredible job of helping us strategize this thing. She's done all the booking. She's helped really devise what this podcast is and make it happen. And we found out this week that Ella is going to be leaving fame at the end of the month for some new opportunities. And we are super sad because she's amazing and we love working with her. But we're also really excited because it turns out part of why she's leaving at least is our fault because working on this podcast made her realize that she wants to get involved more with nonprofit work. And she's amazing. So nonprofit world, you're welcome. We're sending you a good one. Ella, thank you so much for everything. You've been amazing. We love working with you. I can't wait to hear about what you do. And hey, maybe you come back and be a guest on the podcast when you're, you know, changing the world, doing whatever you do. So thanks, Ella. Here we go. Yeah. There you go. All the applause. All right. That's enough. Okay. Moving along. Today, my guest, like I said, is Ryan Sautel. He's the executive director of the White Heart Foundation. And Ryan and I have known each other for a long time. We both went to Pepperdine University. He was there a few years after I was, but he was friends with my sister when she was there. So that's how we met. He is one of the most entertaining, 
interesting, hilarious people I've ever met. He runs White Heart Foundation, which is a uh, nonprofit organization dedicated to serving injured veterans. And in addition to his work at Whiteheart, he's also the executive director of the Butch Walker Foundation, a free resource for people living with pancreatic cancer and aimed at alleviating their financial burden. On top of all that, he has worked as an actor for more than 20 years, and he's an incredible woodworker. Yeah, he's kind of a, a Ron Swanson, you know, or Nick Offerman, who plays Ron Swanson on Parks and Recreation. If you don't know that, then you need to go probably after you listen to this and just start watching Parks and Recreation. But start with season two. Season one was not worth it. Anyway, but Ryan and I had a great conversation. It's very entertaining. He gets a little bit fiery. Yeah, fiery. And I think about things that you will probably agree with and get fiery about as well. And if you haven't before, maybe you will now. Great things to think about for running nonprofits and to consider. Check out this really great interview with Ryan Sattel right after this brief message. We are brought to you by Rogue Creatives. I started Rogue Creatives in 2016 because I saw so many people doing amazing things, like life-changing work. And either they're spending all their time trying to figure out how to connect with people and get their story out there instead of doing what they love, what they got into it to do, and what they were good at. Or they ignored all that and they just did what they loved, but not enough people knew about them. Or nobody knew about them. Even worse. My background is in education and organizational leadership. When I was doing my master's in education, I learned that the best way to educate someone to connect their heads and their hearts is through story. In my organizational leadership program, I learned how to help an organization define its character, its voice, its values, its personality. So I took the best of those and I combined them to create the strategic storytelling framework that we use at Rogue Creatives to define an organization's character so that we could tell their story while freeing the organization up to do what they do best. We've helped dozens of nonprofits define their personalities and increase their reach as they bring new donors and volunteers into their stories. And as you well know, more donors means more money, means more people getting the help that they need. And that means the world's becoming a better place because of the character in your story. So get started today by visiting roguecreatives.com NPC. That's NPC for Nonprofit Connect. And schedule a free brand consultation and take our free online brand character quiz. That's roguecreatives.com slash NPC to begin defining your brand character today. There's no commitment or risk for you at all. And come on, don't you want to meet us? We're super fun, I promise. Rogue Creatives. Seriously, creative storytelling. Okay, enough from me. Back to me and our guest. Well, I'm here with Ryan Sattel. I've already done the intro, just so you know. Oh, cool. So, well, I'm going to do it after we're done here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we don't have to intro you, because I've already introed you, or I will in the future, but in the past. Yes, I get you. Time travel on podcasts. But we open always with the same thing, which is three random questions. So I've got a whole bank of random questions, and then I have a randomizer that randomly selects three of them. All right. So here you go. Here's Usually your... the people like end podcasts with that. Not no, no, started, no. It's, but a, it's I... an icebreaker. It's a kickoff. <laughs> here right. we go. Like we need an icebreaker between you and I. Well, yeah, for the listeners, to break the ice between them and you. Right. (laughs) (laughs) If you could wake up anywhere in the world tomorrow, where would it be? If I could wake up anywhere in the world tomorrow, you know, that's an interesting question because I've never had a real desire. I have to be X, Y, Z. I would like to be back in my childhood home in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. Okay. That was just a kind of cool, like, you know, going back to where it all began. And I miss New Hampshire a lot. 
But yeah, I don't know. I think that would be kind of, I don't have a desire to like, oh, I really want to wake up in Fairbanks, Alaska. Like, yeah, I don't yeah, have anything yeah. like that. I don't, you know, maybe if I've been to more places in the world, I would have more things yeah. I want to wake up to. But I think it would just be kind of cool going back home. It sends a nostalgia for sure. And if I could like bring it back to that time era, like when I was a sure. kid and innocent, I didn't have to have all responsibilities <laughs> anymore. How cool would that be? Right. My kids, every time they're like, I want to be older. I want to, I'm like, dude. Yeah. Just slow Pump down. Those brakes. Pump the brakes, man. Enjoy <laughs> yeah. it. This is the good times. Nah, I know. Where did you think you would be this age when you were a kid? Not here. I thought I was going to grow up to play quarterback for the New England Patriots. That was my dream. Naturally. Um, naturally. Then some guy named Tom Brady was drafted to ruin it for me. What a jerk. Otherwise, I could have easily had that position. Obviously. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know if I thought about what I'd be when I was 40, but I know like when I was 30, I was like, man... I think when I was probably, you know, like 12 or yeah. 13 or so, I thought when I was 30, I'd be married with kids, already retired from the sure. NFL, clearly, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, all these kind of things. And then you hit 30, you go, hey, none of that even happened. Let right. me close. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, no, it's, I don't know. I didn't think far past 30 yeah. when I was younger. So I guess everything is just icing on the cake at this point <laughs> in my life. I've made it this far, 40. Yeah. That's a good one, though. I felt like when I turned 40, I remember thinking, like, I'm going to generously call it the second third of my life because I'm going for 120. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good. Then in the second third, by day two of that, I had already done more than probably I'd done in the first five years of the first third, right? Because, you know. Very true. I'm like, if I'm competing with myself, I'm doing pretty good. So, okay, that's one way to look at it. That's one way to look at it. However, your mind and everything is developing so quickly in that first oh, yeah, five, yeah. which yeah. now your mind is probably deteriorating. That's just going to throw it out there. <laughs> now it's, it's shoving all the stuff in in the beginning, and now yes. I'm just trying to keep it in. Yes. Yeah, keep it staying in there. What was the first concert you ever went to? I went to, I believe it was, this is going to be funny, The Marvelous Three. Do you remember them? No. From back in the 90s. No. 17? Probably 17. It was the first concert I went to, and I remember hearing this song on the radio, and I asked my brother, What's, who sings this song? And he said, it's The Marvelous Three. And I was like, that's super cool. And I looked them up, and they were in concert. I went and see them in concert at the Tabernacle in Atlanta, Georgia, or the Roxy. And it just turns out, this is story it's really weird i was like man these guys are so cool you know like just really great showman an amazing entertaining live yeah. show i just loved everything about it and i moved to la and i went to pepperdine and i was at ralph's one night across the street from pepperdine <laughs> getting some food and i run into the lead singer of the marvelous three oh and, really and like he somewhat remembered me from being at his shows <laughs> And from that point on, we struck up a relationship, a friendship where, you know, we ride motorcycles together. I help him run his charity, and he's one of my best friends to this day. So that was the first no concert way. I went to. Yeah. Is that Butch? That's Butch. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did not know that. Okay, yeah. Butch Walker. Yeah. That's crazy. Isn't it, though? It's crazy how those things happen. Like, right moment, right time, and, like, if you hadn't heard that song, gone to that show. So many of those things. Right, you and know what I mean? Had I not had... A hankering for, I don't know, a quesadilla at 9.30 at night, and I ran over to <laughs> Ralph's real quick, I wouldn't have run into him. Like, I didn't know he was living in Malibu. I'm like, why are you living right, here? And right. he goes, oh, I live here now. I was like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, I go to school here. <laughs> like, like oh, that's strange. And, you know, before you know it, he's like, well, what you been up to? I'm like, oh, just ride my motorcycle. Yeah. Dive ride now. And then 
you know, because he had a big accident when he was a kid and just got away from motorcycles for a while. And then, yeah. So we just started riding motorcycles together. And then, I mean, I've met so many people through him and sure. he's like one of my best friends and I love the guy. And just thinking about like how crazy that we got introduced essentially because of his music. Yeah. And then reintroduced years later, running into him at a grocery store. <laughs> and now like, you know, we're best buds and he's just super cool. So that's awesome. That Yeah, I was just, just yesterday I was interviewing somebody for the podcast. And we were talking about those collision moments that you just can't predict and you don't know how they're going to shape things. And you go back and you look and like this really random thing really shaped my whole trajectory. Yeah. I mean, you know, not to take a morbid turn on things, but like (laughs) my previous girlfriend and I, we were introduced basically because of the unfortunate scenario of my niece who passed away of brain mm-hmm. cancer. Yeah. And, you know, that never would have happened. Now, granted, it didn't work out, but like, still, it yeah. never would have happened had, you know, it's weird things in life that can bring you to other people. And Yeah, it's you crazy. Know, so. Now, the only person I ever met down at Ralph's there, I almost ran over Gary Busey in the parking lot. <laughs> but to be fair, he jumped out in front of my car. As did you, Gary, I, as did only you Gary tell Busey me the story yet? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Ryan and I both went to Pepperdine, and you, I think you were in Megan's class, or a little ahead of her? I was older than everyone at Pepperdine when I went there, because I went late, but I graduated in 09. I think she graduated in 08. Okay, so we weren't there at the same time. I graduated in 01. Megan's my sister, but that's how we got connected, through through her. Well, and I've known your whole family at that point, too. Sure. And, like, you've got a great family. And I like to think I have a good one as well, but you've never met them, but I guess my point is, like, you're blessed to have grown up in such good people around you. Um, And I think we take that for granted, especially nowadays where there's unfortunate circumstances that brings a lot of, uh, you know, single parent households and stuff. And, you know, it's like, man, I just, anyway, be blessed that you've got that upbringing. My story for you that whenever you come up is, I think it was one of the first times you came over to our house was for Thanksgiving and it ended up with a pie in my dad's face I think yeah that was awesome the, it was yeah I, and I was I, like but, but my, <laughs> the reason I tell people I'm like he's the guy that he can get away with that like you <laughs> yeah. first time and you smash a pie in my dad's face on Thanksgiving and everybody thinks it's hilarious I had to find the whipped cream it was, actually, <laughs> it was just a plate full of whipped cream oh, okay. and so okay. and it was uh, I got a, a paper plate and I just loaded that thing up with whipped cream and then yeah smacked them and I think your grandmother did not appreciate that a bit did no. she like threaten to kill me or something yeah I don't know <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. Uh. Oh, man. All right. Well, we should probably get into what we're actually here for. I know we could go on about pies, pies in the and face and, <laughs> and grandma's threatening to kill me. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> so you've got a bunch of experience with nonprofits. You're involved with two, right? right yeah. Now with Butch Walker Foundation and with Whiteheart. Yep. Give a little overview of each of those. I know Whiteheart's your main thing. Yeah, Whiteheart's my baby. It's really been going on. I've been doing charity work now since I started the flags at Pepperdine. Yeah. If, I'm not sure who listens to this knows the, like the display, but it's yeah. a 2,977 three by five flags on the front lawn of Pepperdine around 9-11 as a standing memorial. It's an 80 acre memorial. And that same year I started what's called the Ride to the Flags. It's a, it was a, a motorcycle charity ride to raise yeah. funds for other military charities until I figured it would be more efficient to start our own charity so we can pinpoint where the dollars go. So that was, you know, really starting the charity work in 2008 and started Whiteheart like officially in 2010. And it's been, you know, going ever since. And then, yeah, Butch had reached out to me. He wanted some help running his foundation and his foundation is a, it's a much smaller, simpler foundation, but it's for families who are affected by someone in their family or themselves has pancreatic cancer. Oh, okay. And so 
his father passed away with pancreatic cancer. So, you know, he wanted to do something and put on, he was putting on a charity show every year and those funds would go towards, you know, these families who needed financial help because of pancreatic cancer. Then COVID hit and there hasn't been a charity show really since. We have a few things we need to work out to relaunch that again. But yeah, it's good. That's cool. We'll focus a little more on Whiteheart because that's your baby. And you've been doing that for how long now? Technically, it's 2010, okay. but 2008 is really when I started the charity work. Right. And what problems are you trying to solve and how are you approaching that? You know, a lot of times, I'm sure you're aware of like nonprofits. I don't want to use the term mission drift. They focus. And so our goal initially was to help severely injured veterans get rehabilitation equipment and life enhancing services. So whatever we could do you know, for them, that became a little bit difficult because you get your hands in so many things. Well, this person needs a housing adaptation. This person needs a, you know, a van. This person needs, okay, well, that's two totally different things. Also, I'm a contractor, you know, and then I'm raising funds to try to buy a specialty vehicle. It's like we have to start focusing. Well, what happened is 2000 and let's say 15 or so, I was outfitting a all-terrain track vehicle for one of our triple amputee veterans. And I was on the phone with him and he was telling me what he, you know, wanted to do, like fishing rod holder and, and such and such. And Next couple of days, I got a phone call telling me that he took his own life at that point. So don't oh, worry about geez. making a chair. So it was at that moment I thought, well, you know, all these things are nice, like getting the van, getting yeah. this track chair, getting a housing adaptation. But none of that matters if you're not mentally well. Right. So we started shifting the purview of Whiteheart to being more mental and physical health. And that's where we are today. So we're really focusing on ecotherapy retreats for veterans. We're focusing on, you know, some healthcare stuff that we can do, which isn't, we can do what we can do. You know, we have some things that we can do in the healthcare realm one by one. We're only trying to bite off as much as we can chew. Sure. So we're small, but we're impactful. Nice. How has it grown over the years since, are you, have you kind of kept a steady, consistent size and feel? Yeah. you know, that's how we have shifted the purview of Whiteheart. In terms of the growth, we've been kind of consistent where okay. we are, which is super small, but I'm at a point now where it's like, I just wanted to say like, shit or get off the pot, yeah, right? Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. like you got to build up to the next level yeah. or you got to start rethinking things. So when we really started focusing on the mental health care aspect, there are certain things that we do that I know in my heart of hearts that yeah. we do better than other military charities. And I think the mental health retreats that we organize, which is peer-to-peer, is very impactful to the point of we have at least 30 veterans out there with white heart tattoos on them Mm. because this, and they have made the claim that, you know, this program is saving their life. And they've done all these other programs and other charities. And so like, I know that what we're doing is good. I mean, it took us years to hone in and tweak this program to, to I know where it's having an impact. That's what we need to like really start pushing. That needs to be our calling card. We need to go down that road, I think. So this is where we're shifting for like 2023 and 2024. Yeah. And as we had talked about offline, marketing. They really got to push that. So, But a lot of that is like there's mission drift of kind of the overall scope of what you do. And we work with a lot of nonprofits. We've definitely got somewhere it's like, oh, that, well, we could do that too. And well, we could do that. And they're, yeah. you know, but then there's also just learning and growing and refining. And it sounds like more that's the process you've yeah, been we're, on. we're honing in. We're not mission drifting at all. We're definitely honing in on what we know is, one, impactful. Yeah. Two, the support is there. People are willing to give to that. You know, sometimes it's hard to get people to 
focus in on understanding what you're doing when you're trying to buy like one item for a veteran or like one service for a veteran. As good as it may be, it can get very expensive. Something like this is they're not cheap to run these things, but I think people can grasp the concept of what we're doing yeah. easier and therefore it has a lot of support, you know. And honestly, mental health nowadays is not a stigma anymore right. where it was 20 years ago. And so now you can see it. I mean, the VA is coming out with new grants and these private foundations are starting to do a lot of mental health grants. And yeah. so we're, it's becoming something now that people are willing to fund. They want to see. Clearly, we know there's a lot of help needed in that realm. I mean, just on my way drive down here, one of our veterans tried to commit suicide. I got that phone call. Mm. So he's in the hospital right now. But, you know, all of our other veterans are going to see him and, sure. and make sure he's OK. My guess with this is the public awareness of how large this problem actually is, is not really there. I mean, I, th- I feel like, you know, people talk about it, but there's also kind of a burying of, you know, our, we're really good at like supporting the military when they're there. And then afterwards kind of like, okay, moving on. Totally. And, you know, I've been watching all the stuff on, you know, the John Stewart stuff on the burn pits and, you yeah. know, all the different yeah. things. That, and so how much does awareness and education play into what you do or the challenges that come up against what you do. Do you mean awareness to the general public? about? Yeah, as far as, you know, if you're trying to get funding and all of that to bring people into like, how many people do you guys serve a year? I want to get into this question. I mean, it fluctuates, but let's say probably a few dozen a year. But there's probably hundreds that, you know what I mean? Oh, there are hundreds of thousands. Yes, there's so many. Like you're doing this amazing work, but even then it's still just scratching the surface of what's out there. And so educating, is that a big barrier? Is educating the public and helping them understand the necessity for this and the scope of the problem? I think they are more willing to understand it than even our own government is. I mean, we had one of our veterans got shot in the head in Afghanistan and survived. And we had to pay for his rehabilitation because the government wasn't paying for it. That's insane. Exactly. There would be riots in the streets if people know this is happening, right. but they don't know it's happening. Right. And so this go on their normal day. But and it's that's like, what I mean. That's where I'm like, I don't think people are aware of these things. And like when John Stewart does a thing on the burn pits or you yeah. read these things or John Oliver does something or whatever, I'm like shocked. Yes. Because how have I not heard of this? How do I not know this? And I have family members that were over there. And then when I ask them, they're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, and, but, it's terrible. But they don't... You know, physical health is so connected to mental health. Sure. And so that's why we are focusing on both of those because yeah. they go hand in hand. And one of our veterans got a letter from her doctor at Walter Reed stating that she needed an oxygen machine because her oxygen levels were, you know, incredibly yeah. low. And this machine was going to help her, like, she would black out randomly. She'd just be walking around and just black out. Her body wow. essentially would just shut down and she wasn't getting enough oxygen. And so... You know, Walter Reed sent the letter to the VA and the V denied it. And I'm like, I don't. How Walter, is that even an Walter option? Reed, doctor here, is saying <laughs> she needs an oxygen machine. And the VA is like, nah. And I'm like, right. how? So obviously we stopped it's and so bought absurd. it. But we shouldn't have to buy that. Whiteheart shouldn't exist at all. If the government would do their job, we shouldn't have to exist. Right. The government puts so much money into bombs yes. or into planes and yes. the things i understand the need to have a you know a basically flexing your muscle as a military sure. however if you're willing to buy all that stuff you have to take care of them when they get back they, yes. we can't be like scrounging up a collection plate to see if i can buy someone an oxygen machine it's like insane. why is this happening it's insane how do you overcome that i mean a that's just incredibly frustrating and defeating i would imagine when you're constantly fighting up against it so there's that part of it for you even for yourself yeah. just like dealing with that. But then how do you overcome that in educating people or bringing people in and helping them see the need when they're going like, you know, 
And then I guess the third question, which maybe because you might have more insight, is why aren't changes happening? You know, if people are starting to speak up about this, why isn't the government stepping up? Man, I wish I had a really good answer for that because it seems like it seems like this issue is a bipartisan thing. The, yeah, both the just, left and yeah. the right yeah. and whoever else in the ups and downs, who cares? They all believe that if we're going to send our military personnel into battle or, you know, seeing what they see in a normal day, we should take care of them right. either when they get home or when they're now retired. And I think everyone would be for that. Only thing I can think of is that once you do that, once they agree to, to fund that, and once they get the funding that they need, yeah. they can no longer be a political football for any type of other bills that need to be funded. Yeah, that's true. They always have to dangle that carrot in front of you so they can get their budget passed to build a bridge somewhere or to do something else. And it's always, you got to, oh, and then you vote against it because it's really 150 different types of bills that have nothing to do with veterans. Right. And there's one thing in there that has to do with veterans, then you're anti-veteran. And then one side says, <laughs> one side says, you voted against the vets. And then- Millions of people in America go, yeah, they voted against the vets. Because guys, <laughs> this is it's like, it's a game. It's a stupid so, game. Uh, it's a stupid game, and I think that's honestly they need that carrot. It's politics. Yeah, there's no other reason why. I mean, right now they're running printing presses, just printing money out of thin air to just to do whatever they want with, <laughs> and we still we can't buy an oxygen machine right. for a veteran who needs it because you know she was over and getting exposed to chemicals she shouldn't or whatever it was. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's insane. Yeah, I could be on the soapbox all day long. Well, yeah, and I get that because. There are not enough people on that soapbox. Well, yeah, because they don't know it. Right. And we've been through that with the case I was talking about with Jordan getting shot in the head. Like, I mean, nobody knows that that's not the case. There are so many things that even the VA does that we had one of our veterans who drowned at Camp Pendleton. They revived him. But yeah. he lost oxygen to his head for like five to eight minutes. So it was Jeez. enough to do damage, yeah. like a lot of permanent damage. And he has to go through occupational therapy constantly. Well, after like two years, the VA said, we're not seeing any improvements, so we're just going to stop his occupational therapy. But what they don't understand is that he's going to regress. Like, you're not in occupational therapy to necessarily get better. It's right. just not to get worse. Right, right. And so then he started getting worse. And we're like, we got to step in and keep paying for that. I'm like, I don't understand what's happening here, you guys. You can't be that dumb. Like, yeah. you can't be that dumb. So, like, I think that the VA in itself has a lot of issues, obviously. I wish that the government would find nonprofit organizations who are used to running on a shoestring budget and could cut out all the red tape that the VA has to deal with and just give those nonprofits the dollars yeah. and see how what they could do. They could do a whole lot more than a whole bunch of bureaucrats can do in an right. office that just decides, you know, arbitrarily that someone doesn't need help anymore. Yeah. Okay. Jeez. <laughs> so, Every nonprofit, you know, that I talk to has obviously unique challenges, but there are some kind of universal ones like, you know, we were talking before we started recording about marketing and getting the word out there. But this has come up on pretty much every interview I've done is getting people to donate toward that or be OK with their funds going toward whether it's marketing or PR or whatever it is to help grow the actual cause and not just operational program. How do you deal with that? What have your been challenges there? So we don't yet. Okay. Honestly, I have sent out emails to some of our bigger donors and said, this is what we need to do. Yeah, I was on a podcast two days ago and they love what we did, but they've never even heard of us. Yeah. Like this is the first time they heard of us and someone like had given them our name. And I said, this is the problem. So we've been around for over a decade and you still haven't heard of us. And yeah. many people haven't heard of us. Yeah. And it's because we don't have marketing dollars. Right. Because I am doing what the donors are asking me to do. 
Whiteheart has a model where like 100% of where you want your dollars to go will go to that thing. Mm -hmm. So if no one's giving towards marketing, we're not spending it on marketing. It has to be something that the donors are going to essentially choose to do. I can go out and ask those donors to give towards marketing, but I have done that and I've gotten pushback because they don't understand that it can have a massive multiplier effect on their dollars. And that multiplier effect not only can take, you know, 10 grand and make it 100 grand, but it also can spread brand awareness and be able to tell people that we exist so that in the podcast I had two days ago, they would know us before I ever got on the podcast. Right. I mean, this is what we need to do. You know, right. and all you know this more than anybody. Mike Leonard, who's on our board of directors, he always says nonprofits are essentially marketing companies. Well, they have to be marketing companies. They have to be storytellers. If you're not a storyteller, then no one knows what you're doing or that you don't exist. And you have to get out there and get your name out there and let people know that you're doing things and what you're doing and all the good stuff that you're doing. It seems a little... At least I got into this to help people. Sure. I'm not getting into it for like, look at us, look yeah, at look me, at me look, look at this what stuff. I'm doing. Yeah, and a lot of people are like that. But at the same time, you almost have to be, yeah. right? So, I mean, you ever watch people on Instagram and you're like, man, this guy's so full of himself. Look at what he's doing. Sure. Yeah, but he has to. Like, that's what you have to do nowadays. So we're at a point where like, we have to cross that marketing bridge. We really do. And I know we're talking offline again about that, but I would yeah. definitely take your advice all day long on how to approach that because I know what needs to happen. It's being able to get all that together to make it happen. Yeah. In our second episode, which just came out for us, it'll be been a while for the listeners, but uh, we had a guest, Chris Biocchi, and he runs a company called Resolute Philanthropy. And he was talking a lot about like one of the things he's working with a lot of his clients who are nonprofits in their fundraising is on how to switch to unrestricted giving and to really lead your donors there. Because if you are the expert in your area and you need to have that flexibility to be able to address your problems, and that means sometimes something comes up and you need to try it and you need to address this, you need to address that. But it is a challenge because so often we've created this sort of understanding that like, you know, for so long it was like 90 cents of every dollar goes directly to the thing. And it sounds great, but really you're just holding it back. I am locked and loaded on essentially how the way that people think about nonprofits is entirely erroneous. It's so bad. And it's so bad that it's driving nonprofits to do the exact opposite of what they think they're giving to. Right. If that's on your roadmap today, <laughs> we can get there. But well, we go I wherever. Mean, I mean, I think, yeah, we talk about, we end up talking about this a lot because it's such a shift. You know, I had, I can't believe, I don't remember if it was Chris or it was another guest I had on here, but he was saying that the thing that they're always reminding people is nonprofit is a tax status. It's not a job description. Yeah. And the best way to run a successful nonprofit is really the same way you'd run a business. You got to market same it. Thing. You got to get good thing. people. You got to pay them what they're worth and you will get the results. Otherwise, you run it on a shoestring budget. You try to beg, you know, you're going to get hit, shoestring results. That's what you're going to get. Yeah. And, but it, we've been sort of brainwashed. To we've been conditioned. To, yeah. We've been conditioned to do that. A couple of examples of like, for instance, you know, we run this ecotherapy retreat. We take veterans who are battling post-traumatic stress and military sexual trauma out to Utah and Colorado and Wyoming. And we do all these things, including having like really good fireside chats at the end of the night. Well, we hire outfitters to do that for the sake of argument. Let's say it's a hundred grand for a summer, right? To do that. But I can also do that in-house for $50,000. I can hire somebody, train them with all the outfitting stuff. And it probably can be a veteran so they can really, you know, relate to their fellow veterans and pay them $50,000. If I get a grant, 
private grant, a public grant, the VA grant, yeah. and they give it to me, I'm restricted that I cannot use that for salaries. I cannot actually pay somebody to do that. But I can pay someone else's salary. So what difference does it make that I can pay the outfitter's salary? I just right. can't pay my own people's salary. But I can do it for half as cheap, half and, as less if and, I do it. And be giving somebody in need a job. And a veteran per, and at that. And purpose. Right. Which is under the mission of your organization. Absolutely. Like it all. So it doesn't make any sense. So like they're handicapping us where I'm like the donor dollars would go twice as far if you let me spend it in house. Yeah. But because you're not letting me spend it in house, it's going to be twice as expensive and I'm still paying a salary. It's just this guy's salary. He's exactly. not in the company. I just can't exactly. pay anyone's salary in the company. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense at all. No. But these are things that we've like brainwashed our, you know. Yeah. We just conditioned to think that it's a good thing. Yeah. And, Numbers right now as a nonprofit, we are putting way too much emphasis on things that don't make sense, but we think it makes sense. Right. So like a couple of examples. One, we have a veteran who was blown up by an IED in Afghanistan. He lost his left arm and left leg and his right leg was salvage. Okay. And so it was put back together. It was in a whole bunch of pieces essentially within his leg. It was still on. So it had to get rebuilt. We found a Dr. Beverly Hills and Dr. Geller, great guy, and we essentially got his leg rebuilt over a course of a couple of years, many surgeries, knowing that the chances are today that it'll be able to be successful and it'll take are still pretty low. Okay. But we wanted to give him the best shot we sure. possibly could. And Dr. Gary Cohen is part of that whole team that really spearheads all this. If we were to put a number on that, that would cost about $2 million overall from us building all the surgeries, all the specialties, the hospital stays, all this kind of yeah. stuff that was all donated because me and Dr. Gary got together with Dr. Geller and we were able to really figure out how we can do this. So we spent a lot of time getting all these things donated, like not money, the services donated. Yeah. How do I show that on a filing that I just got $2 million in business donated? Because it wasn't like an in-kind donation. It wasn't like, here, I give you the cell phone. That's worth a 1000 bucks. There right, you go. Right, right. It's a service. It's a hospital stay that would cost, who knows, 5000 a night. I don't know. Right. My, my point is, like, you're not giving us the hospital, so it's not a write-off. <laughs> right. You're just giving us a hospital stay. Sure. So there is no tax write-off on that. Right. So the value that just came into the nonprofit or that we were able to do is $2 million worth of business. However... We can't show that anywhere. Now, if you have a lot of money as a nonprofit, you just write a check for $2 million bucks and you pay it. And people think that's great because it looks like they just did $2 million in charity on their paperwork. Right. So they go, wow, look at all this charity you guys are doing. Well, we did the same thing, but for super cheap. Yeah. We should be the ones lauded, but we're not because we can't show that we did $2 million in business because we didn't write a check for $2 million. And therefore... That whole 90%, whatever percentage, yeah, yeah. looks crazy on their books because they just did $2 million worth of <laughs> yeah. charity. And it looks like we have nothing. My point is, yeah, like, yeah, if yeah, we were no, to compare it, they wouldn't see that we were doing all this work because there's no way you can't put that in a, in a right. file somewhere. So they're actually, again, donors then are going to be giving to these people that they see that are doing $2 million in business because, yeah. like, well, they're doing a high percentage of the program work. Sure. Well, so are we, but we're actually better stewards of your donor dollars by not spending it. Right. Because we found out a way to do that with donated doctor services and hospital stays, which is a whole lot better. That's exactly what the donors want, right. but they're going to give to the other guy because of that percentage right. thing. <laughs> and this, you asked this question, was how many people do you serve? Yeah. And that gets asked a lot. I know you're not asking for that purpose, but it gets asked a lot for like grant purposes. And the problem is we're misunderstanding that question as if the amount of people that you serve and not how are you serving them or right. what impact are you having on them? So you can do a 
morale-boosting charity concert right. at Camp Pendleton, you know, for the families that come in. There's nothing else to do there, so all the families come out and watch. So we get 10,000 people from the actual, you know, military members to their spouses and to their families. They sure. all come out and they listen, whatever. When they go to write that grant, that organization who did that event, they're going to say they just served 10,000 people. But, like, who's being impacted by listening to your cover of Mariah Carey's Hero? Yeah. Like, nobody. <laughs> nobody, right? And if I said, well, I need that $100,000 because I need to repair someone's leg or there's 25 veterans who are suicidal. And I, they go, you're only serving 25 people? These guys serve 10,000. But they're not serving anybody. And, like, right, you look right. at the difference between the impact of what we're having on 25 compared to the 10,000. Like, you can give one grain of rice to 10,000 people, or you can give 10,000 grains of rice to one person. What is one grain of rice going to do to 10,000 people? Absolutely nothing. Right. But 10,000 grains of rice to one person could actually feed that person. Right. But on their paperwork, they're going to say, we just served 10,000 people. And right. the grant makers are going to go, wow, that's great. And they're going to get the grant. And I'm like, but I'm saving lives of 25 people. Like only 25 though, this guy's doing 10,000. Yeah. The way that we look at these numbers, it's causing nonprofits to start to fudge things by saying, oh, let's just put on an event just like that, just so we say we so can we can, we can, we can boost our numbers up and yeah. say we had ten thousand people. Like, yeah. and now all of a sudden your donor dollars are going to this nonsense because they have to play the game. It's completely wrong the way that we're looking at charity entirely. Yeah, it's hurting what's, us. I mean, not that you maybe have one, but what's the solution? I was thinking about this this morning. I was like, Matt's going to ask me what the solution is. And I'm going to be <laughs> like, there's. You could say that you can educate the public, but that's difficult. There's millions of people that donate and they have to understand that they're not doing it correctly. Yeah. The reason why charity watchdog groups are out there is because the public demands that they exist. Yes. And the charity watchdog groups are just as bad as they're perpetuating that terrible scenario. Yeah. They're giving people ratings and scores based on just what they deem to be, you know, well, we think this is a good percentage or a good number and they don't understand it. It's all computerized and they yeah. go, you got a score of whatever and you go, jeez, oh, guys, like yeah. this is not. So you're making me now have to like, I'm going to say fake things, but a lot of these nonprofits are having to figure out ways to go around all these charity watchdog groups yes. that may make them look bad. Like, I don't want to spend $100,000 on guides when I know I can do 50000 in-house. But that's going to make me have like a failure rating through this watchdog group. And I'm going to get donors emailing me saying, why do you have a failure rating? I have to explain it to them, right. but they don't know. Right. Like it's bizarre. So then I'm having to spend twice as much of our donor dollars then just to placate so that I don't get yelled at by some charity watchdog group who doesn't know what they're doing. Right. It's nuts. <laughs> I feel like I struck a nerve. <laughs> the way we just look at nonprofits is completely wrong. I don't know how we solve that issue. Some people just ignore it. You know, they found ways to do the marketing to be able to grow their nonprofit. And with enough money, they don't care. Everyone was finding ways around it. I mean, the Wounded Warrior Project, obviously, they were terrible for a while. I don't know what they do now, but I mean, they were misspending money. Like their board meetings were in the Bahamas. They were doing. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, they did staff meetings. They have a staff over 500 people and they're in Jacksonville, but their staff meeting was in Denver at a five star hotel and they flew everyone out there. Wow. Like, I mean, things that like this doesn't make any sense for donor dollars, right? But they were playing that same game too. They looked at their 990s, they had like $80 million in outreach. And go, okay, well, that was one of their program keys was outreach to veterans, but their outreach wasn't $80 million. It was $80 million worth of free commercial advertising on cable news. 
So the, you got free commercials and they put it in as so that they didn't look bad. They tried yeah. to fudge the numbers. Can we could call this outreach? If we call yeah. it outreach, then we just did more charity because they know that these ratings are going to come down and they're going to look through all these numbers and algorithms and they're going to give them a rating and they yeah. have to they have to keep a rating up. So they start fudging things like that and putting them where they shouldn't because they don't want to be dogged. Yeah. Now they could be dogged for a million other things and should be. I mean, I could be here all day talking about them, but I mean like, <laughs> but but I understand why they're doing what they're doing is because they're playing towards the ignorance of donors. And I don't mean that in a way of vilifying donors no. by any means. I just mean they don't understand, most donors don't understand the ins and outs of how no. nonprofits run and how we have to report things. And therefore, their demand of those percentages, I want to see 90% go to a program, yada, right. yada, yada. 90% going to a program doesn't make any difference. Yeah, it's a stupid game. Yep. Last topic, I guess. I think that you're passionate about the same things I am and you have a specific other sort of outlook on it than, you know what I mean, or a specific point of view from that I don't have. And so it's fascinating for me. And I've been hearing that from a lot of people. I think you have that kind of perspective because I've been talking to people a little bit more from larger nonprofits. And I'm not saying that they're gaming the system, but they probably have the ability to kind of play those games a little bit more. And you're trying to just make this work and do yeah. the right thing and you're getting screwed for it. You yeah. know, like that sucks. If you try to be ethical and actually go towards like what the donor's intention is, yeah. you'll get screwed. Yeah. So is Rob Lowe still on your board? He's on the board. He's on the founder circle. Okay. So that's basically my circle of advisors and people that can make things happen in a snap if I needed to. <laughs> right, right. But you've got connections like that, yeah. right? Like I came to that fundraiser a few years ago yeah. and I'm like, Hey, I'm hanging out with Rob Lowe, who is <laughs> a really cool guy. He's like, cool. Su- yeah. Super cool. But you would, one would think from the outside, like, oh, you got Rob Lowe involved. You're connected with Butch. You've got like different people who mm-hmm. are in the, in the industry. Like you would have no problem overcoming these issues. And yet still, you still are dealing with the same things that anyone are dealing with. I think it's a testament to me. Honestly, I'm not trying to down myself, but I'm not good enough yet at yeah. that point where I can... Sometimes I feel bad. Like, I don't want to bother these people again and again and again. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. want to, you know, and some of these successful nonprofits are run by pretty pushy people. Sure. I mean, they can really, I don't want to say they're guilting people into doing things, but yeah. they'll definitely push to get their way and stuff. And that's not my personality. I want people to do good because they want to do good out of their heart. Yeah. I don't want to have to shake them down for donations or for services like, can you come here, make an appearance here, make an appearance there? You know, I will say it, you know, every now and again when I think it's something that we need to do. I mean, I want to get Rob Lowe on a marketing campaign. I'm hoping the same thing with Pink. I mean, she's been yeah. a supporter of ours as well. I would love to get her talking about especially the female veteran suicide rate sure. and, and things like that. So I think we can have a really cool campaign that we can build yeah. with the people that we have. And of course, we've got great, you know, production capabilities. And I don't mind asking for that kind of stuff. I think I need to be a bit more assertive in what we need. Yeah. You know, I need to go to some of our bigger donors and say, hey, look, this isn't working and this is why. And mm-hmm. this is what I need help with. I've got two meetings today about that, actually, yeah. right after this. So I'm going to give it a shot. But I think I put that on my shoulders. Yeah. That I'm, just, I'm not good at that yet. It takes a certain type of person. And I don't think I'm that person. I don't think I can be that person. I think I can do what I can yeah. until I can hire that person. Yeah. All right. Well, we always close with some rapid fire questions. So, so the we ones go into that an you hour? said we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. So, <laughs> if you can give rapid fire answers, we'll keep it under an hour. <laughs> what is the one thing that makes you feel connected? It's a really cheesy question. It is. <laughs> Purpose. Good answer. How do you connect to your community? I would say integrity. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that, that people can see that I'm not a shyster. I'm yeah, a really you're the real good deal. person. That's, yeah. yeah. That's what you see is what you get. I, w- I, I would say that that is very true. Thank you. Yeah. Who in the world of nonprofits would you most like to take to lunch? Dan Pilata. Okay. He's the second person to name him. Who in the world of nonprofit communities do you think we should interview next? I'll have to think on that one. Okay. I could probably give you a list. That'd be awesome. Of people that I think would be good for you to interview. That'd be great. Yeah. And lastly, what aspect of your job brings you the most joy? I would say having a veteran come up to me and say that I helped save his life or her life. It's happened several times. And you hear that and you go, this is why I'm doing it. I would imagine. It's hard. It's hard to hear it too. Yeah. That's a weird, bittersweet one, right? Yeah. It's a really deep topic that I decided to get myself involved in. Yeah, so. you, didn't, you didn't pick a light, <laughs> lighthearted one. Yeah, I didn't pick like kids who need shoes or some, <laughs> something, you know. But, oh, yeah. man. Well, thanks so much for coming by and doing this. Where can people find you and find information about Whiteheart? So Whiteheart is all the handles at Whiteheart. Instagram's at Whiteheart. Twitter's at Whiteheart. Whiteheart.org. If they want to find me um, everywhere but TikTok at Ryan Sawtell. Cool. All right, man. Thanks so much. Thanks, buddy. Come back and do this again, huh? Yeah, can for we? sure. All right. Oh, yeah. I got plenty of stuff to say. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> And my friends, that is a wrap for today. If you made it this far, and I don't know why you wouldn't, because we're pretty awesome. Thank you so much for listening to Nonprofit Connect. We cannot tell you how much we appreciate it, because we really appreciate it a lot. And it's hard to say that really well. We really would like it, though, if you came back for our next episode. Only if you liked it, obviously. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use and visit our website, npconnect.roguecreatives.com. Hopefully we've managed to share insights to make you feel connected and even a smidge better about your life and the world and everything. Are our goals too high? Maybe, but that's how we like things. All right, you have yourself a great day. Bye-bye. Nonprofit Connect with Matt Barnes is hosted and executive produced by me, Matt Barnes. Production is by our amazing friends over at Fame, the B2B podcast agency, along with the team at Rogue Creatives. Production lead is Ella Lamprell of Fame. Writing is by Sam Hollis at Fame and Matt Barnes and Taylor Bolanos from Rogue Creatives. Nemanja Koljaja of Fame is our audio editor and Arslan Yakub from Fame is our video editor. Creative direction is by Corey Hill of Rogue. Our artwork is designed by Hope O'Kelly and Joshua Marino at Rogue and Ian Salas of Fame. Theme music is composed and performed by Jared Atherton of Chapters. Ella Lamprell of Fame does our booking and guest relations and Belinda Carter-Thompson of Rogue is the glue that holds it all together. We'd love to give a shout out to our amazing guests for joining us this episode and thank all of you incredible listeners for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to help us spread some good by giving us a good review, preferably, you know, five stars with some words saying how amazing we are. That's always helpful. Also tell your friends and subscribe so we can come straight into your potholes each and every time we have a new episode. We'll catch you next time. Bye. This has been a Rogue Creatives production.